So it'll be a few minutes before we get into the scriptures. We will get there. Don't be worrying about me. Things will be grand. But this morning's probably going to be just a little bit different, maybe to to the usual Sunday teach. So. You're in your favourite coffee shop. Just imagine your happy place, wherever that may be. Uh, That's mine right there on the screen. There is some advertising then this morning, Daniel. You were right. Um, That's my favourite watering hole. Uh, Bravo Tango. God bless it. uh, In Portadown. And uh, you visit there at least once a week. And because you're a nice customer, we all have our favourite places. You know, you have your favourite place and I have mine. And Others, I'm sure, little haunts that you go to on the way to work or on the way home or when you're in England, you're, what do you call it? Bubble tea. Bubble tea. It's coming soon. It'll be here. Yeah. But uh, we, we, yeah, yeah, he's been, I, I'm, don't knock it till you've tried it. You have these places that we go to uh, and we know the barista and we know the barista's names because we're Christians and we care for people. So we go into a shop to get something we actually want to have an engagement with the person who's serving us. We know their name and they know our names. And uh, our coffee tastes are, are quite predictable. Uh, we're quite well settled in, in what we like, whether you're a flat white or a latte or Americano or whatever it is. And uh, you go in and you say hello to your, to your barista who knows you. And your barista says, will you be having your usual? They know you so well. They know what you get every day. It used to be before Bravo Tango opened and, and changed my life. I used to go over to, to the other place in, uh, in Craigavon uh, in Rushmere. And I could get over there and back in, in a reasonable period of time. And there was a past pupil who was a barista there. And if there was a big long queue, she knew that I was under pressure because she could remember the school schedule. And she would see me at the back of the queue just looking a bit twitchy. And she would just sort of give me a nod as if to say, you're usual. Uh, and, and I would, yeah. And then she would make it and I would sneak up to the front, grab it and run and get back and teach. And you say, yes, please, whenever you're offered your usual. I, in fact, I know a gentleman, an ex-colleague who many of you know as well. And uh, he is so familiar and predictable in his favorite coffee house that when he walks in, he doesn't even say, I'll have my usual. He just goes in and sits down and his usual is brought to him. (laughs) He he doesn't say anything. It's awesome. It's very cool. I want to be like that when I grow up. Now imagine we take this this phrase that the barista asks you, will you be having your usual? And and I'm going to put a little slant on it just as we start off this morning. Uh, And the slant is inspired by my favorite Christmas ghost story. And imagine that tonight at midnight, you are visited by a spirit. And it is not the ghost of Christmas past, Christmas present, or Christmas yet to come, but it's the ghost of the New Year barista. And at midnight tonight, when you're sitting in your armchair, snacking excessively, and the chimes go, and the fireworks on TV start, the ghost of the New Year barista walks in. And he or she says to you, Happy New Year, will you be having your usual? And the the slant I want to put on that is, is 2024 just going to be your usual? Are you just going to do the same stuff again (laughs) with the same outcomes? Are you going to make the same mistakes that you made in 2023? Are you going to do the same things that leave you tired and exhausted and burnt out? 
Are you going to continue, continually say yes to things that drain you and continue, continually say no to things that would refresh you and revive you and restore you? Are you just going to have your usual? At midnight tonight, you picture my, my spirit of, of the new year barista just coming in and saying, right, what's it going to be? Is it going to be your usual? Are you just going to do the same stuff? Or will there be changes that you have to make? New Year's Eve, New Year's Day is a sort of a, a strange time. Part of me does not want to let go of, of what's, what's in the recent past. I've enjoyed myself. I've had a great week just relaxing, enjoying nice food, being with the family. It's been really, really good. And, and there's things that I, I don't want to just put back in the box. I, I find it very hard to put the decorations back in the box. I'm a bit of a Christmas junkie and I, I don't want to do that. I'm thankful for some fabulous memories in 2023. Wonderful things that have happened that have been just such a blessing. And, and a lot of you will relate to that as well as you reflect back on the year past. There are some great moments but there's also some hurts, tragedies, traumas, losses, disappointments. There are hard times as well. Times that you will feel that your heart was ripped out of your chest, thrown on the ground and jumped on. And there are things in the, in the year gone by that are difficult. Maybe you're tired because you've just been running and running and running too fast for too long. And maybe you're looking forward to new things. So I, I do find New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, just, just a bit of a mishmash of, of not wanting to let go of some things, of looking back and seeing painful things, and of also looking forward with anticipation. But it is a time to make changes. It is a time to, to reflect. It's one of the, I find, you know, as a teacher, the 1st of September feels like New Year's Day as well. But 1st of January, 1st of, of September, those two times of the year for me are times of, of, of change, times of, of making choices and, and doing things differently. And if we're not intentional about things, then what will happen is we will just drift along. We'll go into a drift. Did you drift in 2023? Apparently, uh, pilots are taught the one in 60 rule. So the, the litmus test is, have you ever heard of that? Yes, he has. Okay. The one in 60 rule, uh, if I get it right, is if, if a plane is one degree off course, off its flight path, its heading, if that's the right term, if it's one degree off, then for every 60 miles it travels, it will end up a mile away from where it should be. The one in 60 rule. Every 60 miles that plane goes, it will be a mile off course. Uh, which means I think a, a flight from, from New York to, to LA, uh, if it was off by one degree, whenever it tries to land in LAX airport, it would actually be 40 miles away somewhere in the Pacific Ocean. You could launch off on your flight thinking in, in about 60 miles time, I'm going to be flying over a beautiful lake, but because you're one degree off course, you actually fly into a beautiful mountain. To be slightly off course and to be drifting can be a very, very dangerous thing. And if it's not corrected, you can end up miles away from where you actually hoped you would be. Where do you want to be? And what, what corrections do you need to make 
to, to realign yourself with the correct heading to end up where you want to be. Will you recalibrate? Will you use this morning and let the Holy Spirit speak to you and this day and tomorrow? And will you recalibrate? Will you correct your course? Will you get realigned or will you just drift on? without any intentionality. Here's a quote that has been attributed to Henry Ford, but I first heard it in an Aerosmith song because I'm really culturally aware. And the quote is, if you do what you've always done, you'll always get what you always got. (laughs) It's pretty simple. And it's pretty much on the money. If we just continue to drift along, things will not change. If we want to see change, we've got to be intentional about our choices. So I want to just give you three choices today that have been in my mind this past few days. And some of them, one of them, two of them, maybe all of them might connect with you or it might just inspire you to think about other choices. And I just really invite you to open your heart and let the Holy Spirit have his way this morning and just drop little things in as you listen. What are the choices that, that I'm thinking about that I think apply to lots of us in terms of getting back on course? Uh, the first one is, is derived from a newspaper article that I read a few weeks ago about the word of the year. Every year, the, the dictionary, the Oxford English Dictionary and other dictionaries, they decide on a word of the year and they will announce that towards the end of the year. And nerds like me find that quirky and interesting and read about it in the newspaper. Here's some words of the year for, for, for years gone by. 2004, it was chav. That was the word of the year in the Oxford English Dictionary. In 2005, it was Sudoku. Mm -hmm. Uh, In 2012, what did everybody start doing in 2012? It was selfie. That was the word of the year. 2021, something happened and the word of the year was vax. Uh, 2022, I've never heard this before. Goblin mode. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're so in touch. You're awesome. (laughs) Goblin mode was the 2022 word of the year. And for 2023, uh, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, the word of the year was Riz. Anybody ever heard the word Riz? You heard Riz? Yeah. Yeah. You? No. Okay. Mm, You've lost out. Uh, so, so this word Riz uh, came up in, in an article that I read in the Sunday Times. The headline there says, Tom Holland gets Riz, Ed Balls doesn't. Uh, that is a picture of Tom Holland and not a picture of Ed Balls. But Riz apparently is, is derived from the word charisma, Riz. And it means you've got style, charm or attractiveness or you've the ability to attract a romantic partner. You've got Riz. You get it? That's, that's the word of the year. And uh, according to this article in the Times, I, I, I love this, this stuff, uh, but you can, you can have sort of entry-level riz, you know, just a beginner, uh, and, and you can climb to the heady heights of the rizzard, <laughs> uh, the rizzler, rizzly bear, <laughs> or lord of the riz. <laughs> oh, it's class. So what's, what's the word of the year for 2024? Well, obviously we don't know because they'll not do it until the end of the year, but I want to suggest that maybe it's the word no. Maybe that should be the word of the year for some of us as we head into 2024. What is it that needs to stop? 
What is it that we are repeatedly saying yes to that we need to start saying no to? So the first choice for this year is to choose to say no. Choose to say no. Um, It's quite interesting because we are born really good at this. Right? Anyone who has spent any time with, with sort of kids in around two or three years old know they are, they are experts with this word. Experts. They're brilliant at it. They're brilliant at saying it, but they're very, very bad at hearing it. Yeah? So, so we've, we've been there. We've, we've, we've all experienced or witnessed that scene in, in the toy shop where, where uh, you know, mommy or daddy says no and just carnage breaks loose. But we've also seen two-year-olds and three-year-olds who are just brilliant at just saying no. And there's no reasoning with them. And there's no arguing with them. And they're just not going to do what you want them to do. No becomes the buzzword for them, the word of the year when they're about that age. But as life goes on, we use the word no less and less. Because we feel impolite if we turn something down or we don't do what what somebody wants us to do. Henry Cloud, who, if that's a new name to you, is just a brilliant voice on the whole world of psychology and the scriptures. Brilliant voice. Just wise. A man who's so easy to listen to. He's just got a really lovely way about him, and he's got such wisdom from his field of expertise, and he marries that with the wisdom of the scriptures. And he says you need to strengthen your no muscle. (laughs) That some of us, the, the no muscle has got a bit flabby and a bit weak and it needs to be strengthened. We need to practice saying no. We have a game at home called Exploding Kittens. Anybody ever enjoyed Exploding? No, no animals get hurt in Exploding Kittens. It's a great game. Um, we've played it so much that we, we, don't play, we haven't played it this Christmas because Samuel recognizes the marks on the back of the cards and then knows when you're holding your cards, he knows what they are and uh, uses that to his advantage. But there's a great thing in Exploding Kittens where, and it's similar in, in various card games, where somebody stacks everything against you and thinks they have blown you out of the water and you slap down what's called the nope card. The nope card. And that just negates everything that they're trying to do. Uh, you just launch it down on the table with a big grin on your face and, and watch them squirm in the chair. And we need to get good maybe at just setting down the nope card and saying, we're not, we're not doing that. No, I'm not going out another night. I need to be at home with my family. I need to rest. No, I'm not getting involved in that strategic group in work. You ever get invited to these strategy groups, these working groups? Would you join a working group for such and such? And you're like, no, I'm work- I work all the time. Every minute I'm here, I'm working. I don't need to, to be in a working group. And, the, and extra meetings and extra discussions and extra work, no extra pay, nothing, but just more work. No, politely, no, I don't want to be part of that. No. No, I don't want to apply for that promotion. I thought about this and I struggle to think of anyone that I know who has taken a promotion any time and at the end, at the, on the other side of it, has been happier. They've maybe had a nicer car. And that's about it. Usually they're tireder and they're more frustrated with their workplace. Learn to say no. And I think in our culture, it's getting, especially in the work environment, it's getting more and more difficult to say no because there's less and less people who want to work. 
I marvel as a, as a go down the high street and every shop has a sign in the window and they're looking for employees. Every coffee shop is trying to recruit baristas and every time you go in, there's a new one there with a t-shirt on saying trainee barista or whatever. Because people don't want to work. The population's higher than it's ever been, but people don't seem to want to work. Which means those who are working and are working hard get asked to do more and more and more and more by their employers. And there comes a time you've got to draw the line and just say no. But it's not just work. What are the distractions that you always say yes to that need to get a firm no? One of my distractions is the aforementioned newspaper. (laughs) which just happens to appear every morning when I'm sitting down to read my Bible. (laughs) What is it that appears when you sit down with your phone or your iPad and you you come with, with a good heart to read the scriptures, but end up a few minutes later and you're not in Malachi and you're not in John and you're not in Revelation, but you're watching videos of cats with cucumbers sitting beside them or something stupid like that. Yes, have you been there? You you just go down the rabbit hole of wasting your time, saying yes to these little distractions that come in and eat up your time. Here's here's a great thing. Do you know what that one is? What's that one? That's screen time. Yes, I dare you. I double dare you. I dare you to, to light up the screen time app when you get home. And don't just look at the total figure. Give it time. It takes a wee while sometimes. But give it time to then list all of your apps So you can see the amount of time you spend on each one. It's really instructive. And what you will get is rising within you will be uh, your inner lawyer will rise up and say, that thing's not working properly. That's not, it's not right. It's not keeping, there's no way I spent an hour and a half watching cats and cucumbers on on TikTok. Somebody else must have had my phone. One of the first steps that we can take in in terms of this is just start to say no to some of those distractions. Start to take a little bit of proactive action to to cut some things out or reduce them way, way down. Or get somebody else to watch all the cat videos and show you the best three so that you're not wasting your time. To... To engage in a lot of these things is like what what nutritionists call empty calories. Tasty, but of no nutritional value at all. Small amounts, good. Small amounts, no problem. But once you're taking too much of it, it's dangerous. And if you don't start saying no in 2024, then it will just be your usual. Same old things, sapping your time, your energy, your thinking power, all being drawn away by distractions. Now, don't be quoting me just before I move on to the next choice. Don't be quoting me the next time somebody asks you to sign up for the prayer room. Don't you be grinning and saying, Spence said the word for the year is no. Or whenever there is mention of rotas and cleaning and and helping out in the kitchen, don't be saying, don't be, you know, reminding them of the word for the year. There are things you need to say yes to. But in all seriousness, there are lots of things that we need to say no to that are just sapping us of our time. Second thing that, that came to mind as, as I've pondered this is to choose to invest in life-giving relationships. Choose to invest in life-giving relationships. We all have people who after we spend time with them, we feel enriched, refreshed, encouraged, lifted, 
just people who in our sphere and in our lives are life-giving people. And we also have people who leave us dry and weary and feeling that we've just poured out and not received anything back. We need to invest in life-giving relationships and stop trying to be everyone's BFF. We learn this from Jesus. And you may say, oh, but Jesus loved everyone the same. I beg to differ. I beg to differ. Yes, of course, there is the truth of God loving humankind and loving the entire world. And God loves all of us. And there's nothing we can do to make God love us more than he loves us. That's true. But in the incarnation, in the reality of God, the word made flesh, Jesus did not give himself to everyone equally. He couldn't. He couldn't. He chose 12 that they might be with him. In Mark chapter 3, he appointed 12 for them to be with him. And they were, they were close. They heard his heart. They got explanations of parables that others did not understand. They got stacks of time with him. They, they were the, the, the ones who, who traveled with him and slept in the same places that he slept in and ate at the same tables. Those 12 that he invested in. There were others in the Gospels who he touched and he taught and he healed and he ministered to, but they didn't get in close. They weren't bad people, but they didn't get in close because Jesus had a tight group of the twelve. And whenever sometimes he would heal someone and they would come and say, I, I, I want to join your traveling company of disciples. I want to go with you. And Jesus said he exercised the no muscle. Henry Cloud would have been proud of him. Jesus said no. He said, go back to your own time. Go back to your own people. Tell them what God has done for you. He didn't bring them in into that close community that traveled with him. But even within the 12, there were three. And when he got to Jairus' house, he did not let anyone else follow him in except Peter, James, and John. Judas didn't get in. He didn't let Judas in. Judas didn't get in as close as Peter, James, and John got. And Andrew didn't get in as close. And others. Okay. Jesus had 12 and he had, he had the, these three. They saw him raise Jairus' daughter. Nobody else did. They saw him transfigured. Nobody else did. They were brought closer in Gethsemane. If you read in Mark's gospel, Jesus says to the disciples to, to stay here and pray. And then he brought Peter, James, and John a little bit further before he went on on his own. They got that bit closer. And a good illustration of this, if, you know, if Jesus chose to invest in 12 and gave his heart in a special way to three, what makes us think we can have dozens of people who have our heart and we have their hearts? We can't do it. Jesus couldn't do it. And a good illustration is, is of a target. And the yellow bit in the middle is you. And the, the red, the red ring, that's your three. Now, it might not be three. It might be five or six. But that's your inner circle. People who really have your heart. With, you know, people who, not physically, but emotionally, you're naked and unashamed before them. Just the way Adam and Eve were in the garden. You're like that with these people emotionally. You do not have to cover anything. You do not 
pretend you're something you're not. You do not hide or have any shame about your mistakes and your feelings and the parts of your life that you know are not yet finished under the touch of Christ. That's your, that's your inner group, that, that red ring around the, the yellow circle in the middle. And then the blue, maybe that's your 12. You're still close and still invest and still know, but not just as close. And then beyond that, there, there are others in the black circle who are in your circle of acquaintances, people that, that life has, has brought you together, uh, your colleagues and, and, and sort of slightly more distant acquaintances, you're not particularly close with them. And it's, it's quite easily illustrated when, when you look at, at what happens to teenagers, you know, as they grow older in, in terms of their friend groups. Whenever they're in their early teens, they'll have a group of about 20 friends. And whenever, as the years go by, that, that, they won't sort of turn their back on those 20 friends, but they'll find within that there's three, there's four. There's just a tight little group. But really have, and then there's maybe a different group of other ones as well. But there's, but that happens. It's natural and it's normal as we as we grow older that there's a smaller number of of people who we really give ourselves to, and there's nothing wrong with it. And if we try to maintain the massive group, it ends up going pear shaped because there's too many. A real problem arises in this illustration if 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 people who are in the black circle or the white circle come into the, to, to the red circle. Jesus didn't let everyone in. And, and at the end of John 2, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them. He didn't reject them. He wasn't nasty to them. He didn't say you're a fraud or a fake. He just didn't let them into that tight group you need to i need to invest in those friendships and those connections that are life giving it is not selfish to do that okay it is not because it's good for you and it's good for those other people to invest deeply in those relationships david did it as well listen to david in psalm 101 in terms of what he rejects the sort of people he doesn't want and he's quite extreme about this and the sort of people he does want to be with. He says in Psalm 101, I hate what faithless people do. I'll have no part in it. The perverse of heart shall be far from me. I will have nothing to do with what is evil. Whoever slanders their neighbor in secret, I will put to silence. Now we could take that politely and say that if David hears somebody slandering, he will, he'll ignore it. He'll not listen to it. Or maybe he, he will shut them up. <laughs> But he won't be part of it and he won't let that person into his inner circle. I hear Christians who slander their neighbor. I don't want them in my red circle. <laughs> I don't want that. They can stay in the black circle or in the yellow, or in the, not the yellow, they can go in the, in the white circle, but they're not coming in. They're not coming in close. Whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, I will not tolerate. You can stay out in the outer ring, <laughs> but you're not coming in to the center. No one who practices deceit will dwell in my house. No one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. David is ruthless about this. He's drawn a line. I'm not going to invest in that sort of person. But what he says, who will come in? My eyes will be on the faithful in the land that they may dwell with me. The one whose walk is blameless. It just means the one who's righteous, the one who lives well, the one who honors God in how they make their choices. All right? Not the perfect person. 
the one whose walk is blameless, I love this, will minister to me. Church, be careful who you allow to minister to you. All right? The one whose walk is blameless will minister to me. Doesn't mean that we'll be ignorant to others, but we're going to invest in those life-giving relationships because it nourishes my soul and it nourishes the soul of whoever else is there. A first step that you could maybe commit to in terms of developing and strengthening those life-giving relationships would be to open your Christmas present that you got last week. And if you didn't get one, there's, there's a copy of this book for, for every household in the church and you can grab one on the way out. And we want to journey through this together as a church in the, in the new year, probably on a fortnightly basis, probably in groups of about maybe no more than six. And we're just trying to figure out the nuts and bolts of how that will work. Uh, and then we'll invite you, if you want, to sign up to that. I would encourage you to do so because do you know what will happen? Those little groups will become really special places. Places to invest in life-giving relationships. The last of the three choices. So, that, so we've got choose to say no, choose to invest in life-giving relationships. And the last one is choose to be where Jesus is. Choose to be where Jesus is. Mary and Joseph have been greatly praised as characters over this last month. We have talked, and all churches have talked in glowing terms of Mary and the Magnificat and her faithfulness and of Joseph and the honourable man that he was, the sort of character he was. Um, And Mary and Joseph probably enjoy that aspect of Advent and Christmas, if they're able to view it. But they're probably quite happy that the Advent and the Christmas readings usually end with Simeon in the temple and the book is closed. And we don't read any further because what comes next is the story of how Mary and Joseph, wonderful people that they are, lost the Messiah when he was 12. The only other story we have from Jesus' childhood, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we lost him. (laughs) Bit of a dropping of the ball there. And the story goes in Luke chapter 2 that they go to the festival at Jerusalem when Jesus is 12. And after the festival's over, his parents are returning home. He stays in Jerusalem and they don't realize. And thinking that he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. They did not have the greatest app that any parent can have, the Find My app. And they did not have the the latest um, update of it, which was Find My Messiah. Because otherwise they could have just pulled the iPhone out and, and flicked it on and seen in a moment, where is the boy? And gone and find him, but they didn't have it. So after three days, they find him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, asking them questions, everybody amazed at what was going on. And whenever they, they, they get to him, they say, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And Jesus' response is instructive. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Jesus is surprised that they didn't know where to find him. 
He's surprised that they didn't know, that they had to search for three days, that they didn't instinctively and instantly know this is where we will find Jesus. Choose to be where Jesus is. There are places where you will always find him. Jesus does not play hide and seek. He plays seek. (laughs) That's his favorite game. He doesn't hide. He doesn't make it difficult. There are places where you will always find him, where he expects you to look. And I want this year and I want to challenge you in this incoming year to choose to be where Jesus is. So here are a few places where he will be. He will be in the weekly gathering of the church where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. And the writer to the Hebrews challenges his readers to not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but instead to be encouraging one another. You will find Jesus here every Sunday morning. That is, there's not a hint of arrogance about that statement. You will find him here. He will meet with his people. He will walk among his people. He will receive our praises. He will speak through his word. He's here. Choose to be where he is. And I thank you for your commitment to the weekly gathering. And I encourage you as we enter 2024 to be more committed than ever because he's here. And you need to be, and I need to be, where he is. And we will only grow as Christians when we are committed in a community of faith. If we bounce from place to place, or if we come one week and then miss three, and then come for two, and then miss four, we will not mature as believers. God has just written that into the fabric of who we are as his church. Choose to be where he is in community, in the prayer room. He's there. He's going to be there tonight at midnight when I go in. He's there listening, ministering, speaking. He will be there. One of your steps is sign up for it. Do it. I dare you. If you've never done it before, do it. And I dare you to come out of there after a couple of hours or an hour and say, well, that was a waste of time. You won't because he's there. You choose to be where he is. And please, don't just let it be a monthly thing for the days that we've signed up. Okay, if that door gets closed at midnight at the end of New Year's Day and doesn't get opened again until midnight on Saturday the 10th of February, no, we're not, that's not what we're aiming for. We're aiming for you to catch a spark and catch a fire that you keep on coming in. And you keep on coming in and meeting him, choosing to be where he is. You choose to be where he is by choosing to be in the word. Again, a commitment that many of us make at the start of the year. And it doesn't matter whether it's a big plan that you want to follow or a small plan or a devotional. But do something. Do something that commits to daily walking in the word of God. Jesus said in John 5 to the Pharisees who were obsessed with the scriptures, he said, Moses wrote about me. And on the road to Emmaus with the two disciples, he began with Moses and all the prophets and explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning him. You will meet him in the scriptures. 
Choose to be where he is. I shared a, a plan with you this week and, and I shared it intentionally as an editable spreadsheet. Love a wee spreadsheet. Okay, that's just one of my quirks, like, but I do. But you can, you can take this and you can edit it and you can say, right, I don't want to do all that. But I would do, I would do two columns. I will take that column and I'll take that column. Or I'll take that column and I'll stretch it out over a greater period of time or whatever. Or, or I'll just completely ignore it because I've already got something that works. But do something. Do something. Do something that's manageable. As Daniel explained earlier, don't try to embark on something that is, is beyond you and then end up feeling like a failure after a, after a few days or a week or two because you can't keep up with it. But do something. Choose to be where he is. And the last place you can choose to be where he is is in ministry to the lost. Jesus said in Matthew 25, whatever you do for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you do it for me. Choose to be where he is by choosing to be with the people that he wants to love and minister to. Like Mary and Joseph, have you traveled on without him? (laughs) Have you drifted? Do you need to realign Our three choices, just in in summary, choose to say no. Choose to invest in life-giving relationships. Don't neglect others, but if you give all of yourself to people who do nothing to fill up your tank, then you end up empty. Be selfish, okay? Be, Be selfish in a healthy way by investing in those relationships and choose to be where Jesus is. So at midnight tonight, if you're still awake, <laughs> sometimes it's a struggle to make it to midnight. And when the, the ghost of the barista of New Year comes in and says to you, Happy New Year, will you be having your usual? Ponder the choices that you want to make so that it's not just the usual. Let it be an unusual year. Amen. Let's pray.